The telephone call that launched me into the search for Leslie Walther came on a delicious Cape Cod morning in late spring. Sunlight bathed Pleasant Bay in a soft, buttery glow, and the sea-cool air was sweeter than strawberry wine. From time to time, the breeze freshened, and a perfume of salt spray rose. Sedge and beech plum blossoms wafted onto the boathouse deck where I lounged, half comatose, with Kojak, the main coon cat, stretched out beside me. The boathouse was part of a large estate before I bought it and moved in. The old place isn't what it used to be. The roof leaks on a rainy southwest blow, and I have to crank the wood stove up to red hot when the cold winter winds sweep down from Labrador. But the view of the misty barrier beach with the dark Atlantic beyond is a visual mantra, and I like to sit outside, gaze off at the ocean rim, and pretend the world is flat. I was trying to sell my flat earth theory to Kojak, who wasn't buying it. He was pretending to listen while he stared cross-eyed at a muscular ant struggling under the weight of a tortilla chip. I was at the part about the world being balanced on the back of a gigantic turtle when the cordless phone on the driftwood coffee table rang. I snagged the phone, stuck it in my ear, and managed a drowsy hello. Mr. Aristotle Socorides, a man's voice said. Speaking, I answered, keeping an eye on Kojak, who had hoisted his bulky body onto all fours for a stretch. I lip-synced, Hey, buddy, don't go away. He yawned and licked one black paw. My name is Winston Prairley, the man said in an English accent. Would you be available this afternoon or early this evening? My employer, Mr. Frederick Walther, would like to discuss the possibility of retaining your services. I sat up at attention. The prospect of a paying job stirred me from my lethargy. My last case was three months ago. A Wellfleet cohogger hired me to find a stolen outboard motor. The clam digger suspected his estranged wife, who told me she took it, but she said she'd bought the damn thing so the lazy bum couldn't use a busted motor as an excuse to stay home and loaf. She showed me the check to prove it. The cohogger refused to pay me because I hadn't delivered the goods, but the story had a happy ending. The shell fisherman and his wife joined a Pentecostal church, renewed their wedding vows, and the last I heard they were taking a second honeymoon in Cancun. I said, I'll have to check my schedule, Mr. Prairley. Could you tell me where Mr. Walther lives? That would have a bearing. Kojak sauntered toward the kitchen door. I tried to grab his scruffy tail, he bolted, and I fell out of the aluminum and plastic chase lounge. Not too far, Mr. Socorides, on Merrill's Island in Chatham. I scrambled back into the chair. In that case, I can fit you in after lunch, Mr. Perley. How about 1 p.m.? Perfect. Let me give you directions. A minute later I hung up and remembered what Homer said in the Odyssey— that our destiny lies on the knees of the gods. Or, in my own less elegant metaphor, life is a crapshoot and somebody else is throwing the dice. Prairley's call proved Homer's point nicely. My private detective work is incidental to my job as a commercial fisherman. I fit my investigations in around the migratory patterns of groundfish, never forgetting that my success at catching cod, not crooks, is what pays my barbill tab. Ordinarily, it was the time of year when my fishing partner Sam and I would have been hooking cod from his line trawler, 
but Sam was in Florida with his wife Millie, enjoying a trip to Disney World and Epcot on a VFW raffle ticket I bought them. Sam had been reluctant to go. I don't think he's been off Cape since Cal Coolidge was president. I told him the cod fishing could wait, and he agreed it was cheaper to take a vacation than to settle with Millie in divorce court.